0: Hello everyone. Um, welcome to our listeners. Uh, I'm, I'm doing another episode of the Edge. Unfortunately, I'm flying solo today. I don't have my wingman, um, Mr. John Spiegel here, um, but I'm very happy to say I've got uh, Steve Hindle here, and we're going to have, I'm sure, an exciting conversation. Um, we actually met through a friend of mine, Simon Linstead. He's a close friend of yours now. He's a great guy. Um, we've only spoke once before. I think we met briefly in San Francisco. We only spoke very once before. briefly. Mm. Um, we had a great conversation then, and I'm sure this is going to be a great conversation. Um, but the first question, the same as I ask everyone on the podcast, is just, just kind of give me a bit of background. How did you get started, and how did you get to where you are today? And then I'm sure we'll just go on a little bit of a sure. journey.
1: Yeah, why not? Um, so let's uh, let's 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 work our way backwards. Um, A little bit about me. What do I? What do I do now? And then we'll get into the how the how the hell did I get here? See, I'm trying to keep it clean already, Jay. Um, (laughs) All right. So I'm the founder of a of a company called Achilles Shield, um, which I've had since uh, 2007 when I set it up when I was back in the UK in Edinburgh. And um, what we do is 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 essentially advisory work, right? Is we we help. Uh, That's what I'm driven to do, right? So now we get to the what is Steve Hindle, right? I'm a helper. That's what I am, generally speaking. Try and help. Um, and and I've done crisis management, um, incident response, um, for many, many different kinds of things. It's where I kind of carved out a niche, having a level head and no flight response, uh, which came from my youth. Um, so, yeah, so Achilles Shield, cybersecurity and security and GRC advisory company, um, just started out as a means to get paid more than anything else. But then after roles building IT, you know, structural IT for companies, um, delivering training programs, decades as a consultant um with my own business, and then um transitioning into security, a little bit more about how I got started on that shortly. Um, and then ending up as a CISO. Um, wearing the double hat of a CIO, uh, advising on boards, volunteering with lots of charitable organizations that I really believe in, because I'm driven to make a difference. I, my company motto is protecting your future. Um, and I say that in broad terms, because that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And that's the point, I think, right? So that's, uh, that's a little bit about me as to where I am today, how I got started, uh, worked for the originally worked for the british government um in a in a not too glamorous field which was the collector of taxes sounds sounds lovely doesn't it <laughs> yeah um but yeah it's the, it's the job that everybody hates right um but i wanted to get into i wanted to get into government and politics and now i absolutely fucking abhor politics um but i wanted to get into government and politics when i was in school i really loved the subject when i was studying it that and human biology right so people 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 right A common theme throughout my life tried to follow in my grandfather's footsteps because he was an accountant and i idolized him he was also in the raf during world war ii i wanted to be a pilot couldn't do that nerve damage um so ended up how, trying to trying to follow in his footsteps as you do when you're kids right he was a james bond figure in my life i'm a big james bond fan he says wearing an omega watch um and uh and I I got into that point of uh, you know trying to follow a path that really wasn't designed for me. Um, so I uh, I I went down a path of trying to be an accountant. My math is subpar. Um, I'll just put it that way. I've had to I've had to relearn math at several different points in my career. Um, and it's funny that, that, that you
0: call it math because obviously you've forgotten that it's maths. I mean you've been in America it's long maths. enough
1: yeah that's right you you know you've got to acclimatize you've got to adjust I've lived all around the world which we'll get to as well but uh, you've got to adjust to all these things um but obviously I I wasn't cut out for that and so I ended up you know trying to get into various things after school and I ended up working for the collector of taxes funny story there was a comedian I won't mention his name um I don't want anybody realizing that he owed a ton of taxes and I ended up having to call him um but I was the guy that rang up and tried to I, I again I people i love people right i love trying to help so i was charged with getting money back and um i rang i used to bring around people on my list of people to deal with you know close this account get the money that kind of stuff threaten them with collections knocking on their door blah 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 and this comedian who everybody knows and they know his wife as well um in the industry um and uh, this is way back bear in mind i'm old um, so this is like going back into the the 80s now, um, and uh, and it was it was interesting because uh, I approached it from a different way. My bosses didn't like it. Uh, I didn't last long in that job because um, I spoke to this guy and uh, and he cried down the phone at me, and I was you know that that just brought it really home to me the human aspect of all this stuff. Um, and I, I, negotiated a deal with him and, uh, I found out that he was effectively between gigs and he wasn't getting paid and owed a ton of taxes from, uh, you know, errors and omissions in his, in his earlier career. And we negotiated the deal to get paid. And, uh, and I've noted that on the file and because I noted it on the file, it was an official government binding document and boom, that was it. He was now locked <laughs> into that, that, that path and he did it and he paid it all off and he actually paid it ahead of time and And actually wrote me a thank you letter um after that, you know, to say I was the only one that listened, and I was the only one that that helped him get through that period. That kind of stuck with me uh, in my entire journey that, um, you know, look, we just all need to understand different people do different things for different reasons, and sometimes yeah. good people make bad decisions, right? There's nothing accidental about what we do. um but there's there's a lot that um that you have to consider the human element to that. So worked for the British government, worked for banking industry, banking sector, uh, Royal Bank of Scotland, various other bits and pieces. Did another stint working for the British government on a contracts, on several contracts, working with the intelligence community, working with law enforcement, Europol, Interpol, um, working with the, the Met and GCHQ, um, uh, signed the Official Secrets Act twice, that's that. That's that great stuff where you say well, I can't talk about it, right? Or I'd have to yeah. kill you. It's all bollocks. It actually means I can't talk about it because otherwise it's still a hanging offence, and the British government might come after me. <laughs> so, um, so you know, we we don't say things like that. We don't say it because it's cool, um, but that's how we end up. And then um, through a storied career, working for uh, having my own consultancy organisation, working for um, companies like GEC Marconi um i did i did consulting work for the london stock exchange uh, building foundational um, architecture on a on a really cool new product called multi-user nt that turned into citrix and i wrote the first reseller channel training manual for citrix back when the logos were orange because it was a florida company and oranges um and uh and yeah and after that i got into security um which is the next chapter of the of the story so that's a little bit about me and how I ended up um, getting to where I am, but I'll pause there because the next chapter is, Ooh, so.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I we've, I don't even know where to go. I mean, we've been running this podcast for, I guess, just over a year now. And, and I love the people we speak to or that, that want to speak to us are people that have kind of fallen into their careers. Um, mm, I think interesting. I mean, obviously, you never plan to be where you are today. Um,
1: no, I'm a big believer in fate, um, yeah. and I actually had a conversation. Um, I'm I'm in in really deep conversations, and I I talked to the the founder and former CEO and now board member um, of a uh, of a of a company called Spirian. Um, I spoke with uh, with so who founded the company and built the first product. Right, a former hacker. Fantastic guy, Marvel fan. I've got you can't see if this is a podcast, but I've got like stark number plates on my wall. Yeah, I can see that. And Iron we and, and we will
0: put me. this on YouTube because I was gonna ask you. Oh, you will. Hands. Oh, there you go. But, I uh, should have
1: I should have done my hair this morning. And there you go. There's my there uh go. there's you my you massive can... Iron Man thing up yeah, there. love it. Um yeah, so so yes, yeah, so I had a had a great conversation. I'm jiggling the camera all over. Um there you go. Um, so I had a great conversation with with Todd about a few things. Um and uh, and he he asked me, you know, what, what's, because I'm driven to help. And that's why I'm talking with Spirian, because they're also driven to help. They're a mission-driven company trying to solve the data protection problems of the world. And I was talking with them and looking at a few things, looking through a few things to a certain lens, telling him about my journey, similar to this, right, getting to know each other. Um, and he's like, so what's in it for you? Because everything I've done, I've done deliberately. Um, whereas everything you've done, you seem to have done accidentally. And I was like, that's, a, that's an interesting way to put it, sounds kind of negative. Um, when you put it that way, it means, you know, I didn't have a vision of what I wanted to be. I really did. I wanted to be a pilot. That's absolutely 100% what I wanted to be. And, um, and I couldn't, um, because I have, uh, and i, I make no secret of this. I am hearing impaired. Um, I have uh, bilateral 50, bilateral, hundred percent hearing loss. So on my right-hand side, I have zero hearing whatsoever. The ear works fine, but, um, but in it parlance, right, the, the, the cable has been cut right? The fiber has been severed that takes the signal to the brain. Um, and so my, my hearing just doesn't work on that side and never will, never can't be corrected, impossible. Um, so you can't do that in the UK. You can't be a pilot. If you have bilateral hearing loss, they will not let you behind the, um, the stick of a, of a plane. Um, so that kind of completely killed my dreams, right? Uh, and my dreams were framed because of the stories of my grandfather. In my mind, he was in the RAF, which means in my mind he was flying all over the world right shooting down nazis all this kind of stuff right it's not how it was he was a logistics commander in world war ii he was in north (laughs) africa and he was in bombay yeah never said didn't didn't get behind the 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 yoke of a plane but you know little kids form opinions right um and i loved flying i still love flying my my partner hates flying um but i but i i love it i have no issues sitting on a plane right i just enjoy being in the air. to the us and i've been here 10 years and then uh, a year ago um for father's day my son did a bit of research unbeknownst to me and um and got me up in a plane i um and and i have since discovered that i'm now pursuing my pilot's license here in the us because they don't give a they don't give a rat's ass about you being deaf as long as you can um uh, provide a you know it's a statement of demonstrated ability effectively and as long as you can demonstrate that you can hear six feet away from your doctor the doctor will clear you to fly i just can't fly commercial i can't fly an airliner right i can't transport people around the place right i can fly privately so i can get a private pilot's license here which is phenomenal to me that's like lifelong dream and i'm over 50 so this has been a long ass time right yeah and I've now been able to fulfill a lifelong dream of, uh, of being a pilot. Um, long road, long road to get to that point. Um, so that was, that was that. And you said, you know, it's been accidental. I'm a believer in fate. We say in Scotland, what goes, what, what's for you won't go by you. Uh, the Chinese have a similar expression, right? Um, uh, and I say that because my my partner's Chinese. Um, so all of that to say, I don't think it's a negative. I don't I don't consider it a negative to say you're you're where you are today just purely by accident. I don't believe that's the case. I'm where I am today because way back when I was in college, my tutor the first the first real big um you know uh, educational influence in my life, right? Cuz I'd had teachers and stuff that I got along with and that uh, that inspired me. Um but but she um Alwyn Proctor she was called um at uh, at accrington and rosendale college uh, we can get into the and stanley right we can get into that later but um accrington and rosendale college doing a, a national diploma in business and finance and alwyn turned around to me and said when i told her i wanted to go into accounting and stuff she's like stephen the l- life is giving you a clue here you've passed accounting with the skin of your teeth and you've got a distinction with with a star next to it, the highest grade I could possibly give you in this new subject that we're teaching, which is IT, information technology studies, it was called at the time. Um and it was, it was nothing fancy. Um and she's like, life's given you a clue here. I'll get you into whatever university you want to get to, I'll I'll write you a reference letter. I'll get you in, right? It's up to you then to get your math up to par to be able to accept it and all this kind of stuff. But if I get you in, tell me you'll listen to this clue. Now, that really stood by me and that all this accidental stuff, because I make it sound accidental and I turn around and I say that I'm a believer in fate. Right? Um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Spike says to Buffy, um, I'm fate's bitch, but at least I'm man enough to admit it. That, that's me, right? Mm-hmm. But it's it sounds accidental, but actually it's quite deliberate in that when I've seen a fork in the road, see, now that I know we're on camera, um, I'm using my hands. Um, when I've seen a fork in the road, I've taken it. Um, I've seen a an, an inflection point in my life, right? The 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 timeline starts to branch, right? Yeah, multiverse stuff. And I've gone, oh, I'm gonna go that path. So that side of it's not really accidental. So getting out of accounting and math into IT, moving away from you know key bits of IT, which is watching progress bars move across screens in a really slow manner, um, into the people aspect, training, right, and consultancy and, and servicing servicing organizations' needs, and then pivoting again into building foundational IT infrastructure for the company. I wound up my consultancy business and went internal to, to form a European um, IT organization with with many other Steves, which is how I ended up getting called my nickname um, in, in the organization or in the professional world outside of, uh, outside of just bars and pubs. And then through through happenstance, something crossed my plate, um a security investigation for the British police, well, Scottish police. um, I was up in edinburgh and um and through assisting with that investigation um and getting a criminal conviction for that investigation, through the strength of my evidence, various other bits and pieces, um recognizing that path when I was presented with a hmm. You've you've done this stuff working for the British government before. You're clearly good at this security investigation piece. Do you wanna do you wanna come in and help us build a security organization? Again, that inflection point, that that fork in the road, and me going, Yes, let's do that. That gets me out of bed in the morning. Because again, I feel like I can help and I can make a difference. So it sounds accidental. Um, and I'll, I'll go back to my conversation with Todd Ferguson. It sounds accidental. It sounds like I've just happened down this path, but actually I've just rec- I've become adept at recognizing those opportunities and forks in the road
0: to, to take them. I, I, I mean, again, I think that's superbly interesting. Um, I want to ask you about the role of the CISO because I'm really intrigued in what your response might be. And the reason that for me, the CISO role is still relatively new. I mean, I've spoken to people like Paul Simmons on the podcast and he was kind of part of the Jericho Forum and I guess one of the very early type C-cells. Um, but I speak all the time it, it, at conferences and with people at the moment and a lot of businesses still don't have a so. And some of the businesses that do, I'm not sure are necessarily reporting in the right way or reporting to the right people or I really know what their job is. And 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 I think i was at an event yesterday and we talked a lot about and very surprisingly and and very happily we talked a lot about the human element we talked a lot about cyber being a very difficult place to be and we talked a lot about the u.s legislation in regards to the cso being held responsible and being fined and going to prison and all of those things and i think it's a very challenging role to be in um so rather than just digress, the, the the question is, where do you think the CISO should report and why?
1: Oh, all right. That's really good. Um, rather than digress. I oh, bollocks that. Here we go. Right. Rabbit hole <laughs> open. Let's dive in. Um, so this is going to sound a little bit punk rock, um, especially because oh, that's who I am and uh, and and got my guitars and shit hung up on a wall that you can't necessarily see. Um and uh I'm going to say this and I'm going to upset a lot of people. I don't say it out of malice, I say it out of kindness. So coming from a position of kindness, which is always where somebody starts before they get really rude, going to try not to. Um coming from a position of kindness. You're right. You framed this up really well. The the CISO is the baby in the room. He's the baby, he or she is the baby in the board, right? It's the youngest position onto the board. It used to be the CIO, right? Um, but it's now the the CISO. Um, the first ever acknowledged CISO formally to hold that kind of title was Steve Katz of uh, of Citigroup. Um, and it's it's in recent memory, right? The issue is there's a lot of chess-beating CISOs out there. There's a lot of CISOs who, uh, it's the superhero complex, right? I'm speaking as a Marvel fan and, you know, massively into superheroes, it's the it's the white knight complex of, I'm going to come in and save the day. Um, and as such, that's generated a lot of ego. Um, and egos have really got very little place in the boardroom when it comes to larger companies, right? Um, sometimes you need a little bit of ego to help steer smaller companies to get them on the right path. So sometimes there has to be a little bit of, look, you've brought me in as an expert to help you. Um, I'm going to help you, but it should never be, it's my way of the highway. And there's quite a lot of CISOs out there that it's my way of the highway. I am um, the CISO in residence for a group called the CISO Society, which has over 550 CISOs, um, predominantly United States, but increasingly global. And we're, we're trying to take as many in as we can. And it's a... And this is where the difference is. The CISO community isn't necessarily like the IT community. It is a community that generally pulls together because the good ones out there recognize we're all in the same fight. So we share information freely amongst each other, right? Chatham house rules in general. Don't know what that is? Look it up. Uh, most people will will understand what that is. Um, it just means freely freely sharing information, not necessarily telling people where you got it. Um, and it, it, the the nature of that is to make the the company, the organization, the community stronger. Right? That's why I'm a big fan of B sides events versus the RSA's and the black hats. There's a place for the RSA's and the black hats, and that's selling product. Um, Defcon used to be like that Defcon's turning into black hat black hats turning into RSA RSA is just at a monster right but you go to a b-sides event and what you find is they're local they're community driven and they're everybody pulling together and sharing stuff to help that particular segment of the community get better that's why I'm a massive fan this is a long road for a shortcut to say the role of the CISO, if we look at it optimistically for where it should be Um, is to empower the company to make the right decisions using data, not opinions, but using facts. Um, Hey, we're in this industry. That means we're handling this data. And we look at our environment and this data is probably not got the best controls around it. Let's secure the data. The data gets ignored, right? People ignore the data they focus on. Secure the endpoint. Why? Because it's a silver bullet. It's a product I can buy off a shelf, right? Log management alerting. It's a product I can buy off a shelf, right? We'll we'll secure that. Um, A lot of people ignore the data, right? Um, But if you start there, because that's what the bad guys are after. They're after your people. Secure your people. Because the people are the way in; they're not busting through a firewall. This isn't war games, right? Or hackers. Angelina Jolie, uh, Johnny Lee Miller, favorite film. That's why I keep mentioning it. Um, and uh, they're not going in that way. They're not. They're not tapping away, write, writing lines of code. That happens in the background, right? But they're going in through the people because they recognize that people are fallible. Why? Because we all want to help. Um, and so, even the bad guys, we want to help the bad guys without realizing it. Social engineering, phishing, blah blah. Sure, every other guest has talked about that. I won't go into it in any more detail. But um, but then everybody's everybody's silver bulleting and band-aiding problems, right? Just by buying box product and believing that they can solve the security problems of an organization by spending money. Um, what they don't do is they don't take the time. This is why I'm gonna upset a lot of CISOs out there. Um, they have all the ego and they don't take the time to be humble, shut their mouths, open their ears, and listen to the business. Listen to your CFO. What what keeps your CFO up at night? I guarantee it's not ransomware. They might say that because it's a news headline and they keep getting bombarded by these losses and these dollar bills are being paid out by these companies, right? That's not really what keeps them up at night. What keeps them up at night is making money, right? It's it's EBITDA. It's, it's your ARR, right? That's what keeps them up at night because that's what they're held accountable for. So you talk to your CFO and if you get to know that that's their problem, how are you as a CISO going to help that CFO make money and save money and be effective. If you're not addressing that and you're just asking them to spend more and more money buying all these tools, then you're not servicing the needs of your CFO. And if you talk to your COO, your COO is likely tasked with growing the business, making sure the business can scale, right, operationally and foundationally, making sure that they can scale to meet the needs of their customers. You talk to your CRO, your chief revenue officer. They're charged with getting customers in, getting them out of the lead gen, into the sales funnel, getting qualified leads to close, and absolutely getting the revenues in for the company, right? And if you talk to your CEO, your CEO is charged with meeting the needs of the shareholders, um, whoever the investors in a company might be. Even a private company has investors, right? Um, And if you talk to your board, their only concern is the investor and the shareholders, right? So yeah. as a CISO, if you're just out there going, my only concerns are ransomware, phishing, that's how, that's how I'm going to show value to the business. Okay, that's fine. That means you're protecting the business. That's, that's okay. But you're not really servicing the needs of the business. You're not being a good partner or a good customer to the rest of the members on the board. And When I was with a, a public company as the as the head of function, I can't say I was the CISO um, because with that public company, it took them right until the end, right before we were required to appoint a chief security officer. And that security officer was operational. It wasn't you know anything related to security. Um, and, I, and I love the guy, don't get me wrong. Um, but, uh, but that company at, at the executive level, when I left, I was the last executive standing prior to acquisition, um, at the acquisition, I, turned, I literally turned the lights off in our, in our Tampa HQ with, uh, with our founders, EA and, and my EA. Um, and important to note, right? When you're at that level in a bigger organization, you're not gauged on the same performance metrics and KPIs. You're gauged on everybody in that boardroom, all your other C-level executives will weigh in and say, yeah, Jay was a good partner because he helped us get this project done on time. Jay was a good partner. Jay helped us do this. We've got this revenue because Jay's GRC and governance program and the certifications of trust that we delivered to our clients brought more sales into the sales funnel. Jay is a good partner because he reduced the total cost of ownership of the security tool stack, saving us this amount of money on our bottom line, right? None of that is... Oh Jay, Jay stopped five ransomware attacks coming in from email this week from our email gateway. Uh, we've seen the numbers, so that's great. Well done, Jay. None of that happens in the in the executive room. So the role of the CISO is often misunderstood. Um, the, the, a true CISO should understand the business, understand the needs of every other executive in the room, and find a way to help them with their mission.
0: If it's I'm helping the CFO. Because- when when we look at the tenure of a CISO, i think statistics are like less than 2 years i mean it depends on the statistics but it's around the 2 year mark now how are you going to ever embed yourself in a business in that period of time and and hmm. makes no sense and some sense
1: of this is yeah and, and some of this is and everybody looks at that and goes oh that's because the CISO is the chief scapegoat officer so they get cut blah 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 I disagree. I think it's because the CISO doesn't take the time to embed themselves in the business, doesn't take the time to learn the business, just puts in a load of silver bullets. Holy crap, that guy's expensive. Oh my God, we still got hit by this malware or whatever it may be. He's crap. He's gone, right? And I say he just because I'm, I'm looking at this through through a, a masculine lens. Um. The, the key piece around that is, I lasted 25 years in in my career with a public company, went from being private through public, through that journey, through many, many acquisitions, taking in security um, teams from a, you know, M&A and building an organization. When I left, we had 60 over 60 people all around the globe in my security team. Average tenure was 14 years, right? Um, and so... I left that, and then I, I I went into another organization as their as their CISO. Um, how long did I last in that organization before I chose to move on? Key key point there. Um, that was just about eighteen months. So you know, laying into your statistic, some of it is the organization loses their appetite for the way that that CISO does things and chooses to move on from them. Other areas are the CISO chooses to move on. Now that can go two ways. The CISO might choose to move on as I did because the company was going in a direction. I wanted to go in a different direction. Um, I won't get into many more details around that, but I chose to move on. Okay, that's my choice, right? I wasn't ousted, I I chose to leave. But I chose to leave because of my personal goals and mission um, where I was driven. I built a foundational security program I got it to the point where it was assessed by our cyber insurers and the carrier to be best in class. I knew I'd built something good. I wasn't necessarily interested in just keeping the lights on. And so I chose to move on, right? Good luck, get somebody to keep the lights on, and then I'll, I'll move on to somewhere where I can also feel like I'm making a difference. But often, a CISO is also chasing, oh, well, I've got here, I've got this title, I've got this stepping stone, and now I'm chasing a better salary. Now I'm chasing, well, currently I report in through this channel and I want to report in a level further up, so I'm chasing that. So you get either title chasing, position tier in the organization chasing, and CISOs move on, right? It's not always about rifts. It's not always a reduction in force. It's not always about that. Sometimes it's about the CISO moving on of their own volition. Um, And I think that that's an important distinction um, to make. But you can succeed. And you can succeed in short order, and you can get organizational buy-in in a short time. That mythical ninety-day plan that everybody tries to deliver, right? Um, and there are there are some really good insights out there um, through key members of the community that uh, that have written really cool ways to approach that ninety-day plan. My approach to that ninety-day plan is get in there and do absolutely nothing, make absolutely no foundational changes if you can for the first the first two months, easy. Why? Because you have to learn the business. You have to learn where the gaps and the holes and the areas of improvement are. Take a business-centric approach. And then in short order, you can you can make foundational change that makes a difference to the company. And at that point, you know, if you wanted to stay, you could absolutely stay. Right. And if you've put that level of trust, that emotional um, and trust capital in the bank with all your fellow executives, if you You end up getting part of an incident, which everybody hopes they don't, but let's face it, it's likely you'll have some form of issue and incident in your career. If you've gone in there and put loads of money in the bank by me help you, me help you, me help you, not what can I get from you, right? If you're not making withdrawals of that capital and you're just putting it in and there's an incident, even if you don't fare too well during that incident. That emotional capital you've put in will allow you to unfortunately have to make those withdrawals of that emotional capital and still come out in the green and not in the red.
0: So you raise a few interesting points that that I want to kind of dig a little bit deeper into. And I was trying to think the best way of phrasing the question. So the the question really is twofold. If you were a board and you were a hiring a CISO, what would you be looking for but maybe the reverse of that is if you're looking to be a CISO what skills do you need and it's kind of the same answer Mm. but but equally adding on a little bit to that is and you mentioned it a little bit that maybe the CISO you need initially isn't the one you need to keep the lights on are they potentially different skill sets and what what makes a good, I guess the question really is what makes a good CISO? Mm. Is there something
1: yes? I, I think there is such a thing. And I think it's um how far are you and where are you in your journey of maturity as a company, right? Are you do you do you have uh, the the foundational components of a good IT program? If not, you might want to look at hiring a, a CIO versus a CISO, right? Um, do you have asset management? Do you know where your assets are? Are you able to manage, patch, and control those assets across your organization? or across your organization? Are you able to manage vulnerabilities, et cetera, et cetera? That's really a, an IT-related piece, right? If you don't have that and you bring somebody in as a CISO to try and build on top of that, they're going to have to address IT gaps before they even get to the security pieces. So you may not need a CISO from day one. You may need um, a, an IT leader that understands that without those foundations, security is just, you know, it's going to be fighting a losing battle. Um, and you may you may need to look at that from a different lens. So if you're also a relatively young company or you're not a very big company, right, if you're, you know, less than 100 headcount, do you really need a, a chief security officer? Probably not. What you need is a good security engineer. You need somebody capable of of, of switching switches and turning knobs and pushing buttons. You need somebody that's a, a truly a doer. You can set the tone from the top as an organization of any size, but what you need at that point is doers. You don't need a security officer, right? You you just need a security doer. Um, you need a and, and, and at that point, do you really need to hire somebody? Or would it be better for you to pay an MSSP, there's a million out there, to manage your security for you? There's a lot of SOs, uh, some of which are former CISOs, some of which have never held a CISO role, but hold a SO title because they've been security engineers and architects, and now they think they can tell an organization how, um, but they miss the why, right? And don't get me wrong, I know a lot of good SOs. Some people try to label me as a SO, and I, I try and stay away from that um, because a SO is really keeping the lights on. Um, you know, If you want somebody to come in and build strategy, that's more of an operational leader. And that's kind of where I'm at. Um, I'll come in and I'll build you a program. I'll come in. I'll give you advice. Um, if you want to name me as the security officer or company, which several companies have, then I'll absolutely do that. But I'm doing it fractionally, right? I'm not, it's it's not a full-time job because what I need to do is I need to understand the business, right? If I'm coming in as a CISO, I need to understand the business. I need to say, well, you know what? This is the best framework for us to leverage. Um, we can leverage various other different pieces around there. Are, are we are we building ourselves off PCI DSS because we're handling payments? Are we looking at structural foundational IT security? ISO is probably a good deal, right? Or do we want something that is just readily and easily understood in simple parlance? In which case, the NIST cybersecurity framework tends to fit the job of most companies. That's that's the framework that we'll build this on. Here's the the key foundational tools that we need to execute that job. You can't do work without tools. So this is what these are the tooling we need. You can't get insurance without certain tools. So let's be fair, you just you can't get away from some of that. Um, But foundationally then once that's once that's in play, you don't need a CISO to run that. You just need somebody that's capable of understanding it. Um, and so that's where I, that's where I'm going to piss a lot of people off. I'm going to upset the apple cart a little bit by turning around and saying organizations think they need a CISO. They don't, they need somebody appointed who is going to be accountable for the security of the company. That doesn't need to be a CISO. It just doesn't depend on the size of your organization, the the, the more, the bigger you are, uh, if you're looking at IPO, right, if you're looking at acquisition, if you're looking at expansion, yes, you need somebody capable of delivering and executing a security strategy. Yes, that that is likely to be a CISO type role. But you asked earlier about where should it report. Um, you know, it's got to be operational. I truly don't believe that a CISO should report into IT. Why does it report into IT? Because IT has put themselves on the board and has established trust and people look at security as a technology function, right? I believe it's an operational function, but they look at it as a technology function because CISOs are always pitching, oh, we can solve this through technology. They moan and complain about, oh, we shouldn't report to the CIO. We should report to the, the CEO. Why? Because everybody else does. Well, that's fine. <laughs> but you're the baby on the board. You haven't established trust. And everybody... At, whenever. And when, when anybody on that board asks you to solve a problem, you're pitching technology. Well, the person with the trust on the board with the biggest technology experience and tenure is the CIO. So you're going to get shoved under that under that bucket.
0: So, you're so, going to get
1: pushed into that, compa- that compartment unless you stop approaching things from a silver bullet technology perspective and you start approaching things in the language of the CEO. You start talking in the language of the CEO, you'll report to them.
0: And And that's a really interesting one because I... I mean, I've had the luxury of, of talking to a whole bunch of CISOs. And I like some of them, how you
1: said luxury. You make it sound like a pleasurable well, experience. I, I, I applaud that.
0: Some of them report into the CIO. Some of them report into the COO. Some of them report into finance. Some of them are on the board. The, the, but the biggest, I guess the biggest issue that I've seen throughout my career is if your CIO and your CISO don't get on, then you have a problem. Now, I know people like yourself that wear both hats, the CIO and the CISO hat, and that's great, depending on if you can get on in your own head. There's sometimes a battle there. Have some hard
1: conversations in the mirror.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I I wrote an article on this recently that, for me, the, the, the most important thing is those people understand that they're a team. Now, you need one that looks after technology and you need one that doesn't. But has to have a say in what that technology is there. The the why? Why are we doing it? And I definitely don't think they should report necessarily into finance. I still know CIOs that report into finance. And and again, a lot of this goes back to the fact that IT was a finance. It cost money. It grew out of that, right? It wasn't unusual that your your IT person worked into finance, and I think that's growing. Um, But I guess you agree that they need to get on as a team right otherwise it's you're going to have a battle you don't need those Abso- people absolutely
1: it. no absolutely and and IT reporting into finance yes it 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 did and still does make a lot of sense why um, because A, IT is, is a massive cost center to an organization. It's not a profit center, it's a cost center. Um, if you really want to hold IT accountable on a dollar bill level for its capex and opex spend, make it report to the CFO because the CFO will hold them accountable, right? So that, that explains a lot of that. Also, it's all about risk. Yeah, if you look at why the the CISO is put under finances, because generally you're looking at the financial risk to the company, and so therefore the CISO is reporting into risk in that regard, right? Um, But again, if if you're not positioning yourself operationally to support the operational needs of the business, you're not gonna get into the reporting chain that is operational, which will lead up through COO and, and CFO, right? Um, I know CISOs that report in through legal. Why? Because legal owns a lot of the pieces around privacy, yeah. around all of those elements, right? GDPR, massive in the EU, all this kind of stuff. Um, and so as such, making the, the the CISO report in through legal counsel, legal sometimes heading up risk and privacy and all the rest of it, if you're a data security company, makes makes sense in those terms. It's all about what's right for the business. And CISOs get obsessed and i mean obsessed around where they should report to and a lot of it is ego right but similarly you can't you you struggle to i won't say you can't you struggle to hold it accountable because if the ciso is the backstop right it is responsible for patching their shit let's be really clear it's not the CISO's job to patch IT systems. You're a system owner. It's your job to patch and close vulnerabilities and make sure your system's up to date. Your job, not mine. I'm the backstop as a CISO with a vulnerability management program to point out where you've missed something, where you've forgotten something, or where you're too resource strapped to get it done in a timely manner. Yep. And the reason I say that last piece is because that goes into where I'm going with this, which is... The CISO and the CIO should be a partnership, right? In the public company I mentioned, the the CIO, right, and the the, the person that I reported into, who was the the senior VP, um, uh, he was the deputy CIO, but he headed up the security function at that level, at the board level, if you will, and they were like an old married couple oh my goodness, the, the yelling and shouting that went on behind closed doors, right? <laughs> when I first got into that room, when I worked my way up the chain and I got into that room, I sat there and my jaw was on the floor. I was like, if I talked to the CIO like that, I would be fired. Why? Because they had a good relationship. Yeah. They knew they could talk frankly and plainly, right? Um. Uh, so- it's called candor, right? I was searching for the word. Um, I blame the head cold I've got. Um, It's called candor, right? Um, You've got to be candid in your ability to work together as a partnership, right? Because if I'm not telling you Right, exactly what I see. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm sugarcoating this, and this gets into something you mentioned earlier about the CIO, sorry, the CISO being, you know, uh, jailed and all this kind of stuff. You've got to be candid. You've got to be transparent. If I'm not able to do that in the room with my partner, which is IT, because IT is my partner because I'm not patching shit. You are. I'm the backstop that tells you you've missed something, right? I'm the backstop on the, the line in the sand that says, hey, this is now exploitable in the wild. That thing's been unpatched for 30 days. It needs to get patched now. It's gone from being a high to a critical. We've got to get some eyes on this, right? If I'm, not, if I'm not telling you that in partnership, if I'm not coming to the table and saying, okay, I'm here to help secure the business You're here to help run the business. You're saying you can't patch this stuff quickly because you're lacking in resources. How can I get, how can I help you get more resources on the job? How can I help you? Because I'm, I'm going to come at this with teeth from a compliance perspective. I'm going to come at this from a business perspective to say, if we don't patch this, we're going to lose customers, right? Or we're not going to get these customers because we're not compliant in this area and our customers need us to be compliant. How can I help you, Mr. IT guy get the resources you need to get this done, right? That's a good partner, not, you need to do it because I said so because this is a critical vulnerability and it needs to be done within 30 days and you're not doing it because you're lazy. So get it done. That's what the CISOs want. They don't want to report into IT so they can smack IT around and say, you need to do it because I said so. No, there is nothing wrong with a CISO reporting into IT if there's a partnership but yeah, of course I mean, that yeah. goes the other way if the cio doesn't look at the cso as being a partner and looks at them as being a subordinate to say you can't tell me what to do because i pay your salary and i control your budget so you can't spend this and you can't spend that because i want to spend it on fancy whiz bang it things that's not a good partnership either both no. of those should throw red flags it needs to be a partnership you hit it right on the head jay
0: and i i think the best partnership if it, is if you're doing both roles but again that comes with its own caveats right i mean i, I... conversations in the mirror why are you not patching steve <laughs> it's
1: because i i don't have the resources steve well you need to do it steve i mean that's 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 a tough game
0: <laughs> i mean i can't believe how quickly the time's gone i have so many more questions i want to ask you in in regards to like cyber and stuff but what you you're, you're going to have we... to come back on
1: um, yeah, sure. Can we touch on one thing, though? Because we kind of in in our rambling rabbit hole way, we kind of got past it. But you did ask something that I want to go back to, um, which is around the tenure of a CISO and the fact that lots of news headlines. And I I've, I've, i don't want to belabor this. I've done I've done three different sessions talking about different things. And it all starts asking about, oh, SEC, solar winds, poor Tom Brown, the CISO, right, all this kind of stuff. Going back to what I just said about candor, right? You have to have candid discussions internally. And what I said about CISOs and their egos, right? And getting up there and grandstanding, right? You don't you don't see you don't see CFOs going out there and speaking at conferences. You don't see CFOs making overreaching statements about their company's financials. Why? Because they know it's fraud and they can be jailed. But when you get a CISO on the stand or when you get a CISO in a public forum, They will often make overreaching statements about absolutely effing unbelievable they are and how great they are and how amazing their security is. Why? Because they think that drives business to the company and don't get me wrong, it does, but it does it because they're making misleading statements. That's the nature of the recent SEC charges. It's all about misleading statements. Even uh, Even if you're a private company and you're not a public company, right you're still you're 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 probably getting into m a activities you're still held to your investors you're still held to your customers right? You're still generating revenue because if somebody watches something or listens to something you've said and gone, Oh, I trust them. I'll put my business in in their bucket. Right. Then that's based on something you've said. And if what you've said is disingenuous, if it's, if it's misleading, if it's not a truly accurate statement, if it's a little bit, well, this is a forward-looking statement. People use that a lot. I'm making a (laughs) forward-looking statement. We've got MFA everywhere. Well, we don't today, but it's, it's a forward-looking statement because we will do next week. Right. If, if, if that board (laughs) member finally puts it on their computer right you know th- they make forward-looking statements but in doing so it's misleading yeah, and I'm sometimes sure. they make misleading statements deliberately because they're trying to make make it look like their company's amazing but in doing so they can be held accountable for that so if a CISO is concerned that they may go to jail then they should just stop making misleading yeah. statements they should stop grandstanding and they should just speak plainly and transparently. And if if they make that decision to say, you know what, I'm going to speak completely transparently about the security of our company in this forum, and the company's like, oh, hang on a minute. No, you're not. You're not going to talk transparently about the security of our company. Well, then maybe you've got problems to fix, and you shouldn't be opening your mouth at all.
0: Absolutely. that's That's where you need to sit down and go, okay, maybe... If we can't be transparent, we need to up upskill and up level here,
1: right? Right, and if we and if we can't if we can't talk openly and transparently, if the company shits the bed when they when a CISO says, oh, I'm going to go on this, I'm going to go on this forum, I'm going to promote our company and our brand, you know, because if I'm out there speaking and I'm an employee of Company X then really I'm speaking on behalf of company X, whether they like it or not. You can say for all the money in the world, you can stick on your Twitter and your LinkedIn, all all opinions expressed to my own. But then as soon as you make a statement of, yeah, my security program is freaking amazing. that's, that's, That's your opinion, but it's your opinion of the company you work for. It's now in a public forum. If that drives customers to you or investors to you, then you are making misleading statements that may end up in the financial gain of the company. And so- if you're ever then charged with misleading statements or fraud or anything similar, you're the reason for that. Yeah. Don't be surprised. Don't be don't be shocked when you're held accountable. Don't cry the woe is me scapegoat card, because it's all you. It's all you, mate. You've made that bed. You have that cell. You have to lie in it. Um, so if you if you can't make a statement transparently, if the company wouldn't want you to make a statement transparently, look internally. Don't don't blame. Oh, they won't let me talk about it. Nye, 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 nye. Why? Go back to the why and follow the money.
0: I think it's a really good point that you raise, and um, I want to raise another really good. I told you I'm going to upset least. people today. No, no. I mean, so we we've got a few minutes left, so I'm going to ask you two questions. Um, the first one should be relatively easy to answer, that. and just be very very careful. Um, does pineapple belong on pizza? Always. No. A pizza's you, not a
1: pizza without pineapple mate, and absolutely olives. Absolutely unbelievable. Pineapple and olives on every pizza I eat. No.
0: So John went cheese and tomato that.
1: pizza brackets with pineapple.
0: No. John's a John's a pineapple lover, so he, he'll love that. Um, you and, see, I ab-
1: actually I actually don't like pineapple. I, I don't like it. Uh, my my partner has pineapple in the fridge, a big box of the damn stuff. It gives me ulcers. But you put it on a pizza, no. or you grill it on a barbecue, then. Grill it, it on a barbecue.
0: I don't huh? mind it grilled on a barbecue. Just don't put it on my pizza.
1: So you're all right putting it alongside your steak, grilling it on a barbecue, yeah. but you're not all right having it yeah. on a pizza.
0: Yeah, I've clearly got issues.
1: Clearly um, got issues, mate. I'm just saying, I'm, I'm open to any kind <laughs> of new ideas, right? But if you said put Marmite on pizza, then you and I are going to go outside. Yeah, I'm out not doing
0: that. Um, all right, good. See, common ground. Second question is it says that in the bottom of the window next to your name, Stitch. And I know you alluded to that earlier. Oh, God,
1: Um, you said we've only got a few minutes left.
0: (laughs) You've got about three or four minutes to answer that question. Why are you called Stitch?
1: All right. So always leave the audience wanting more. I'll share a lot more detail on that. At a later date, um, I can summarize it by saying um, I put large amounts of my body through large amounts of glass when I was was a much younger person. Uh. Um, all in the interest of of, of helping, and uh, and I ended up getting an absolute ton of stitches. And kids are merciless, and they will never let you live it down. And uh, and so that became a nickname. You got to take ownership of it. You just got to, especially <laughs> if you're from Lancashire. So there you go.
0: Well, that's definitely that 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 we have to do episode two, and hopefully John can make it. But I mean, I've had I mean, honestly, I had a ton of questions that I was going to ask you. I've got oh, through. Go.
1: episode two. We can I've get got into through maybe
0: five percent of them. Um, I'm hoping to meet you in it person sometime, and I can't thank you enough for coming on. It's been great.
1: Jay, my pleasure entirely. Um, Episode two is going to be a blast. Maybe we'll get into something more uh, more meaningful, but at least now people know who I am and they know not to tune in next time. Um, <laughs> that we can been, figure it's out Honestly,
0: been fantastic. All right, thanks, man. Thank you, sir. I appreciate your time.